Welcome to the latest edition of Pass the Baton, a podcast to educate agricultural businesses and farmers on how to work through generational transfer of farms. Hi everyone, welcome to the latest Pass the Baton uh, podcast. Today I'm here with Mark Fullis, um, Senior Financial Planner with Catapult Wealth. And today we're talking about a, a really interesting topic and a morbid topic at that, um, and one that's probably not fun to talk about um, for many people, and it's probably the reason why um, we think it's really important to talk about is dying today. And the, the, the bottom line is, as we've introduced in previous podcasts, we talk about it as the dead plan. And remember to put that into context, the dead plan is normally one of the first things we talk about with clients to make sure that if you... Uh, got hit by a bus tomorrow, how's everything going to play out? And and we think, uh, you know, obviously that is something that we we wanted to dig a bit deeper into today. And so I've dragged Mark in here to uh, help me out and, and work our way through this topic. So welcome, Mark. Thanks for coming along today. Thank you, man. Thanks for having us. Um, Mark, you've sat in on a number of meetings um, with some some family farms uh, farming clients so far. From your perspective and what you've seen, you know, why... A, does it, is it something that a lot of families probably don't deal with? And then B, from your perspective, why do you think it's important? Uh, yeah, as we've sat in with clients, mate, we've, you know, we've had clients in various, various uh, situations, especially where you know, we've actually had families that have come to us because of that dead plan has actually be, had to be enacted and uh, they didn't actually have it in place. So um, from that side of things, it's, yeah, that just shows how imperative it does actually become, especially when you've got you know, all the different facets that play it out, play out with it as well with regards to the children that are off the farm and um, all the assets that are in different places as well. So, um, do, you, uh, um, do you then um, find that, um, like what percentage do you reckon, that you even probably day-to-day, 50-50 that have done their will or uh, worse than that? Yeah, or they've got it tucked away in their shoebox that they've <laughs> looked at it for about twenty years, or and obviously you know over time things evolve as well in that regard. So yeah, there's um yeah at least fifty fifty that don't have it up to date, especially. Yeah, no, very frustrating. <laughs> I guess um from from my point of view, you know the dead plan, it, it technically is the will, but it but it shouldn't just be be just a will. I, I'll say in that a will can um, comprise of a power of attorney. Uh, can comprise of you know advanced medical di- care directive. It involves checking in on all your beneficiary nominations for your super accounts because they don't have to go via your will. It's amazing how many people um, have left um, super funds or even insurance policies to ex-wives <coughs> or husbands or people that they just forgot to change names. So yep. um, the the dead plan can incorporate a lot of different things. Um, and it in it can involve also what we talk about is is just a um uh, I'll, I'll say a list of wishes so that mum and dad can um, leave behind perhaps a, a conversational piece um, around what they think should happen and what they want to happen yep. and uh, ultimately that becomes an addendum or to the or a piece of paper that goes with the will uh, you know so that that that's something all those things combined for me is is what a good dead plan looks like. And and ultimately, and I've said this before and I'll, I'll, I say it and it's never easy to do, is that, that dead, a good dead plan is communicated. So a good dead plan doesn't sit in that drawer, Mark, like you were talking about. Yep. And it is communicated in a sense that all family members, including off-farm children, it sat, they sat down at the same time. They all hear the same thing at the same time. They can all ask questions at the same time. 
and they are crystal clear at that moment in time what the the will says and what the dead plan is. Um, and you know, I think that my advice to a lot of people probably listening is, you know, don't be afraid of having that conversation. Um, some advisors will say not to have it. You'll find some some lawyers and accountants and financial planners say, you know, just it's your will, do what you like. But my advice is to communicate it. And then if you're going to have a fight about it, if it, or if you're going to have some argument about it, or better way of putting it is to have some discussion about it, you might as well have it then and there. And yep. um, and and you know you can work through it. And last point on that, you know, what is a dead plan? Is it, it a dead plan? Is a living document. Back to your point as well, mate. It's not. I think you future proof dead plans as much as you can, and future proof um, it so you don't want to be changing it every five minutes. But life changes. Assets yeah. change, people change, things things are changing constantly. Therefore, you can't assume that uh, this plan is going to be set in concrete and it doesn't have to be set in concrete either and you've got to be prepared to review it and change it as well. Yep. I suppose from the reviewing side of things, what would you see as a typical time frame for you know, having to sit, bring everyone back around the table to sit back down and say, well, okay – has it changed or is there a, you know, a moment in time that it actually would trigger that off as well? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I think that it, it, it probably at, at, at worst, I reckon you should pick your will up out of your bottom drawer in the cardboard box and at least have a read of it every two years. Yeah. And, and you might read it and you might pick it up, read it and say, you know what, this says exactly what I want it to say. And remember, at one point I didn't make clear at the start of this as well is that you have to write this plan as though you were to die tomorrow. And a lot of people get challenged by that. They go, I say, so if you walk out the door, you you walk out into the street and you get hit by a bus. And again, I know how confronting that whole conversation is. Absolutely. And and it's also, you know, that, that you've got to write it as though it happened tomorrow. And what do you want to happen tomorrow? You can't write these things as though, oh, I'm going to die when I'm 80 or I'm going to die when I'm 90 that is not a safe assumption to make. And so I think reviewing it at least every two years. Alternatively, um, if you do a major asset reshuffle, potentially, you know, children moving back on farm is often a trigger. So if, if a son or a daughter comes back on farm, a son or a daughter moves off farm, you know, those major events always trigger a potential change in perspective and, um, and, and always worth reviewing. Um, I suppose when you start to think about those off-farm assets and the kids that are actually off-farm, how integral does that become a part of the plan as well and to be so clear about it all? The off-farm children? Yeah. Yeah, it's a really interesting one because you, again, that's also something that needs reviewing and changing over time. So, A, you've got to make sure that if you passed away tomorrow, are the off-farm children allowed for in any way, shape or form? So, atypically, we'll see farming clients leave super funds, um, to the off-farm children, and um, and and they typically we will see them leave the house to off-farm children. And I'll probably just go down both of those rabbit holes first, mate. Is that the problem with leaving a super fund to off-farm children is potentially that super fund gets run down over through a retirement phase, so you don't know what that end asset is going to look like at ninety or ninety-five or whenever it is. So that, that that's a bit of a how long's a piece of string conversation. And the second thing that runs into really a problem with leaving assets to the off-farm children is most a lot of farming clients live on farm. 
So the house they own or live in, I should say, is a farming asset that's probably on a title with 50 other acres and then it's not it's integral to the farming operation and therefore it's probably in a family trust that they want to leave the on-farm children and therefore how do you you can't segregate it. it yeah. yeah. So, you know, both of those assets become problematic. The only other solution that we often hear from a you know, from some farming clients, they often put in place life insurance and say, okay, well, when I die, I'll leave the life insurance to the off-farm children. Once again, that's not a, a great long-term plan. In the short term, I get it. But as as you see with clients, Mark, that we, we they get older and the premiums sky high. escalate and yep. it gets to a point where the premiums are really generally unaffordable from a, from a fi- family perspective. And so then they cancel it. And then you know they don't then they don't have um, that may not have anything left to the off farm children at all. So I think you you know whatever you leave to the off farm children, you have to be crystal clear about what you're what you're trying to do there. What are the ramifications over a long period of time? You know, and and how those things might change. And that's why it's imperative to think about these things ahead of time. Yeah. Um, and and to be able to build off-farm assets, whether it be rental properties or, you know, super funds or other investments that are not attached to the farm, it makes that whole um, conversation or or issue a lot easier to deal with. Um, And, you know, and and, and ultimately, um, the more flexibility you've got got around that, the easier that conversation is. Um, and, And one of the things I forgot to mention too, Mark, is that you can't, with the dead plan, Yes, in the first instance, if it's going from wife to husband, husband to wife, that's pretty straightforward. Okay. But you do get a bit; it is gets does get challenging where you know you the lawyer will ask you what happens if you both go together, and and a lot of families haven't considered that scenario and what might play out there. So, um, mm. but but the off farm children um, are an interesting one, and probably while I'm on the topic, Mark, is that. Um, the other thing that's not taken into consideration in an off-farm asset point of view is, uh, sorry, aged care. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. So, as you will know, aged care can cost to get into, uh, what, 600 grand or- Yeah, 450 upwards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that, you know, to get that refundable deposit, um, does that come, a family's planning to pay for that out of their super fund or their off-farm assets? And, and then how does that affect- the off-farm children's asset base potentially down the track. So, um, yeah, it, it's, it's it's something that does need careful consideration and discussion. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of components to it that uh, you have to constantly keep that conversation rolling along and I suppose that's where we come into play to make sure that we can facilitate that sort of stuff. Um, well, yeah, and I mean, and, and the, it, the risk is if you don't deal with this in some, I'll call it collegiate manner, your risk is you, you know, the on-farm children get challenged. You know, they, they, in in a, in a legal sense, and and then, um, you know, where the off-farm children feel aggrieved, they feel like they weren't left enough assets. They they can challenge the will if something were to happen, and and then you know, I bet you there's many people listening to this this podcast that have seen or heard of that happening in communities that completely could blow up the farm. Um, so you know, the downside's pretty massive. Yeah, absolutely. And I suppose when you start to think about, you know, once that dead plan has been enacted, whether, you know, obviously if the kids that are, are on the farm still and all of a sudden they just want to take that money and run, essentially if they've got that bigger puller of an asset, then, yeah, that's where the contestant 
um, on the wheel would come into place as well from the off-farm kids. Yeah, do you, and so you mean if they sell it or yeah. yeah. So well, that's and that's really interesting. It's one of the greatest fears of a lot of fam- farming families is that you know they leave a an eight, ten, twelve million dollar asset to um, a son or a daughter that's been working on the farm for 10, 12 years, and and they're all with good intentions, and ultimately um, they fear that then as soon as they either hand over the reins or they pass away and and it's handed over to the next generation that they're gonna they could potentially just sell it cash out their 12 million bucks and i don't know sit on a beach in bali or something so that is a very strong fear and and but ultimately you need to for those listening table that fear talk about it talk about it with your advisors um, talk about it with lawyers because there are mechanisms and legal documents that potentially can be put in place to to put in place a i'll call it a staggered um uh, you know legal framework which can go right well if if the child, if the next gen farmer sells it within five years, they have to pay eighty percent back to other family members, and then on a sliding scale. And if they've held it, I don't know if they've held it for fifteen years or some arbitrary number, then ultimately they get to receive the proceeds because they've earned the right to you know to 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 earn the money. And you can't just ignore, mate, that that couldn't happen. Um, and it's not for I'll call it obnoxious reasons either to sit on a beach in Bali. I, I do may <laughs> say that comment flippantly, but it's it can be, happen because of um, divorce. It can happen because of their death. They're like they're, sometimes the kids die before the parents. It yeah. could happen um, due to mental health issues or you know health reasons that people just go. You know what? Well, I I can't do this anymore. And and those those things are very real. And and those things happen. So you do need to contemplate. Um, the potential that might happen. Um, I suppose from, as you've gone through, when you're speaking to a lot of different clients along the way, and um, I suppose what what would you perceive as what would be their main reluctance as to put a dead plan in place? (laughs) Confrontation. (laughs) Uh, And and you've seen seen that firsthand, mate. It's, um, we, you know, we... um, how to, there's a few reasons. Firstly, yeah, fear of confrontation is is massive. So you know, I think that that's why we keep a, a box of tissues in all our meeting rooms because these things can get emotional. They can be very tough to deal with, and um, you know, and and people don't like fights. I mean, I don't. Probably you don't. I'm not. I'm a bit anti-confrontational at yep. the best of times, and but not dealing with it. He's not going to solve it. Yeah. And, you know, the, you've heard me talk about the magic fairies. The magic fairies aren't going to come down and sprinkle dust and, and just make this all go away. And um, so confrontation's big. Um, I would also use as a, as a rele- reason and reluctance is um, I'll call it fear of the situation being too complicated. Um, they get a lot of people get overwhelmed by all of this. Um, there's a lot of moving parts in a lot of farming families. There's trusts and companies and operating companies and land trusts and multiple children. And they start thinking about it and their head starts spinning. And they go, you know what? It goes in the too hard basket. And I have no idea how we're going to deal with this. So I'll just get back out and do what I do every day and, and farm or get on with my day job and deal with this another day. Yeah. And unfortunately, one year turns into five really fast and people have left that job in the bottom drawer far too long um so i think that overcomplication can be a fear 
The other reason I probably table is also just people don't like dealing with their own um, mortality. You know, yeah. it's not a nice thing to think about and and people do um, tend to think that they're going to live forever and 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 actually contemplating death and contemplating um, your partner dying or you dying or your kids dying is is shocking thing to talk about. But again, the reality of the world is we need to, it happens. And, you know, and as I've said before on this podcast, my father passed away unexpectedly at 57 years of age running on a treadmill. Um, you just don't know. And, you know, you just, and, and to save a lot of pain and heartache, deal with it is my, my simple advice. So, you know, I think that um, and, and probably, oh, I don't know, the last reason I'll probably give you is that people don't know who to turn to. Yep. So, you know, you have, oh, I don't know a lawyer. I, I don't know a financial advisor. I don't know my accountant very well or I don't think they'll deal with it. Speak to somebody. Do something. Just get um, the ball rolling. Get the ball rolling. You know, put one foot in front of the other. And to be honest, I think that it's often a lot easier than people think, but they just need – to have that help around them um, and that advising team around them, just to to make sure they get them off, get them get them underway. Yep. When you're looking at the actual dead plan itself, what becomes the most critical component? I know we talked about you know putting all the different legal documents in place, but obviously, yeah, what would you perceive to be that most critical component? I think the critical issue for me a lot of times is people don't really understand how assets move, mate. Like so. Um, you know, when when a lot of farming families have companies and trusts, as I alluded to earlier, or even partnerships, they don't understand that on the death of a certain person, what goes through the will, what what doesn't go through the will, what automatically moves to another person, um, and and people get themselves in structures because they're I'll call it inverted commas, and this is no knock on accountants, but because their accountant told them to for tax reasons or cash flow reasons, but. They didn't really get into the nitty-gritty of what are the implications from a succession planning point of view, from a, an asset movement point of view down the track. And a lot of people don't think two or three generations ahead, and therefore they get very focused on the now. And therefore, you know, they're in structures they don't understand, to be, to be blunt. Yeah. Um, and therefore, for me, critically understanding what goes through your will, what doesn't, what can be challenged, therefore, and what, and what is not. How can assets move to certain family members without the risk of challenge? I think is really critical to understand. Understanding who controls trusts um, with the appointors and the trustees is really critical. So, and and understanding that in trusts you can't technically leave that asset to to somebody. You're only leaving control of that asset to somebody or, or people. So, it's, it's very um, you know there's a lot of issues that need to be discussed and and even understanding that the fact your super fund um, can be either paid directly to a beneficiary, you know, and bypass the will or it could go through the will um, directly. So um, understanding your asset structures, understanding how you move them um, is critical and and ultimately understanding even, you know, we use the term tenants in common or joint tenants. So, You'll be amazed at how many times, mate, that that comes up in conversations with clients where they've gone into assets um, and bought them with their parents or bought them with their siblings and they don't know whether it's tenants in common or joint tenancy. And and the differences are stark. Um, you know, joint tenants means 
if, you know, in my case, myself and my wife own a house in joint tenancy, if Lisa, my wife, dies, it, the house moves directly to me without going through the will, regardless of what the will says, and vice versa. Yeah. And so, but whereas tenants in common means that if we owned a house in tenants in common together, Lisa's share of the house would move via the will to whoever she directed it to via the will. And that is a very different, um, a different, different mechanism. Um, and and you know, I think that that when you're dealing with you, you know, a lot of farming clients buy things with their parents or buy um, you know holiday hat shacks at Arno Bay or whatever you know with their brothers or sisters. The the, the understanding of structures is imperative. And while while I'm just talking about that too, mate, the one other comment I want to make is. A lot of families, you know, mum and dad will talk about, well, we have to do our will, we have to do our will. But the other thing that becomes critical to this whole situation is is that the sons or daughters, if they are getting involved in the assets along the way, they need to do their wills too. Absolutely. The, the amount of next-geners that I see that just put, again, think they're going to live forever and nothing's going to happen to them and- they think that um, they don't have to do a will because they, they actually, some of them just assume they don't own much, therefore it doesn't really matter. They, they will be surprised. And, and the example I always give is that is you potentially, and I'm going to be stereotypical here, you might have a son come back on the farm. He's been back for seven or eight years. He got married, had two kids. There's the assumption in the succession planning that, that he's going to get the farm. If he were to predecease you know, die, pass away, his parents and all this, you know, before the succession plan really happened, what does he own? How does the wife get looked after? How do the kids get looked after? Is insurance therefore, and I'm not a shoe insurance salesman, but is insurance then imperative? What, you know, does that ruin the, can potentially ruin the, the mum and dad's retirement plans or, yeah. you know, financially I'm saying here, um, so I think that a lot of times dead plans need to incorporate a risk management strategy around, well, what if a son died? You know, I think we've got you've got to go that deep yeah. into the planning to make sure that, that those what ifs are covered off on. Yeah, there's a lot of links in the chain that really, you know, flows downhill um, really quickly and then making sure that that bottom rung of the chain essentially is all tied up as well. That's um, becomes imperative. And then, you know, circling back to the succession plan, that's where, you know, the dead plan ties into that succession plan so much more as well. Well, yeah, and, and that's probably it's a good point, Mark, is that ultimately the dead plan starts to become a great, I'll call it, cedar of ideas or thoughts for the living plan and saying, well, yep. where do you see these assets going over time? If you've now identified that, and I've always said that I think fam- some family members are, are what I call natural owners of assets over time, then you know it can form a great framework to say this is what our, you know, 40-year plan looks like, um, and, and that's why we do it first. All right, Tony. Um, so I suppose tying it all off, mate, what uh, what would be your final thoughts uh, regarding the dead plan for all those people out there? Um, I guess, firstly, don't be afraid of it. Deal with it. Have a chat about it. Um, and and <laughs> do something. You know, some a 90% will, a correct will is better than no will at all. You know, so, you know, don't try and make it perfect. A lot of people come into this and go, oh, it's got to be perfect. And they, they, they agonize over some of these things. And, and I would rather a 90% will at least down on paper than zero will because we've been, you've been mucking around with it for, for a year or two. 
or just or just thinking about it. Be be clear and and you don't need to be an expert in the legals, but be clear on what you want is probably the other bit of advice everyone out I give out there is that say, hey, I want this asset to move to this person. Don't worry about how that happens. Let that's when you've got to let the legal people or your advisors say deal with it. That's their smarts. And but be clear on what your goals are, be clear on what your outcomes you want are, and then table that and let the and let your advisors deal with it. Because where there's a will, there's a way. And and if there's not, there's probably workarounds. So, you know, be be crystal clear on that. And and you know, ultimately the last bit of advice that I couldn't stress enough is is communication. You know, just making sure that you sit down with your family, that you have the conversations that need to be had. You um, you don't assume that people know, that, you know, that, 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 oh, this is how it's going to be. Um, a lot of families, look, and if the living plan, if the dead plan and the living plan are the same, that's okay. So, you know, what I mean by that is some farming families go, this will all be yours when I'm dead sort of attitude and, and you'll get this and that when I've passed away. That's fine. If that's if that dead plan is that, then it becomes the living plan. Communicate it to you, to your next gen. Make sure they're crystal clear on what that is involved. I'll let them ask questions and and then move on. But you know, don't don't be afraid of having that conversation and communication because next geners will make a lot of assumptions. They'll think, and that's you know, you've heard me talk, Mark, about conspiracy theories. It, particularly where there's a, a level of angst around they don't know what's in the will, they'll always make assumptions about what's in the will. Mm. Oh, little Johnny's getting it all and I'm getting nothing. And, you know, the, the, and that's so a lot of times, 99% of the time, is, it, it's far from the truth. Yeah. Um, so having that clear communication is is really important and and being prepared for for that in terms of then if things change – be prepared to change with it. It's okay. Uh, you know, a lot of people go, oh, it will cost me money. And I'll tell you what costs you money is a fight at the end. A couple of grand to do a will or do a half-decent will and then spend a bit of time and resources getting that right will will be money very, very well spent. 